peace to crush Satan beneath our feet. Demons exist whether you believe in them or not. It has begun. You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Hello, hello, welcome to the I Want to Believe. Hello, hello, welcome to the I Want to Believe. Hello, hello, welcome to the I Want to Believe. Welcome to the I Want to Believe podcast and our Halloween special for 2022. I'm Nomar Slavic. A familiar voice is back with us for the spooky season. A friend to the show. I call her Valhalla, but you might know her as Valerie Lafaso. I've never called her Valhalla. Anyways, Val, how are you? And would you please remind the listeners of who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks, first of all, for having me back. I'm so excited to be doing this again. And as you said, my name is Valerie Lafaso. I am an empathic medium, and I'm also an author. I have three books out in the Tangled Web of Friends series, and I'm currently working on a manual for empaths that is called The Vital Empath, and it's a workbook for developing your intuition. Thanks, Val. The Exorcism of Emily Rose was a 2005 horror movie about a young woman who had become possessed by several demons. The movie was based on true events. Tonight, we'll be sharing those events with you. Annalise Michelle, the woman that Emily Rose was based on, grew up devoutly Catholic in Bavaria, West Germany in the 1960s. When she was 16, one day at school she blacked out and was seen walking around in a dazed state and unresponsive to all of those who approached her. Though Annalise did not remember what happened, friends and family told her of the trance-like state she had been in. Little did they know, this was only the beginning. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to first announce that for Season 6 that's coming up in 2023, we're going to try a monthly release schedule. Yeah, we're, we're going to give it a try. Instead of releasing all episodes at once, we will be putting out a new episode for every month of 2023. We hope you'll like the change and we'll see if we like it as well. All right, enough of that. A quick reminder that you can follow us at 207Believe on Instagram, or you can follow me as well at Slavic. Feel free to DM some show topic ideas. You can follow Valerie as well at ValWrites17, or on Facebook, just search for Valerie Lafaso, author and empathic medium. 
My latest spooktacular book, We Only Come Out at Night, is available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and is a great companion piece for your Halloween festivities. You can get it at slavicstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Valerie's Tangled Web of Friends book series can be found at all online booksellers. Be sure to check them out. Also, links are in the show notes. Lastly, my documentary, Otherworldly Amour, has a new home. It is streaming exclusively on Paraflix Paranormal Plus. This is a subscription service much like Netflix and offers monthly or yearly subscriptions. Once subscribed, you have access to not only Otherworldly Amour, but hundreds of other paranormal shows, documentaries, and even horror movies. Another great tool for harnessing your Halloween hellscape, so give it a try. By using the code OTHERWORLDLYAMOR10 at checkout, you can get 10% off your first three months. That's OTHERWORLDLYAMOR, A-M-O-R, one, zero. Alright, let's get into the life, death, and subsequent court case of Annalise. Annalise didn't know what to do. When she graduated college at 20, she began to notice a particular distaste for religious iconography. She couldn't stand to be near a cross or even enter a holy place. For a devout Catholic like Annalise, this could mean only one thing. Possession. So we're about to discuss a case of demonic possession so chilling and controversial that it actually became the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. What follows is the true story that inspired that, The Exorcism of Annalise Michelle. Ooh. It's one of the few like actual cases of uh, demonic possession that went to court. Alright. It's a- Wait, did they like sue the demon? You'll find out. The majority of the information for this case comes from an article written by Gabe Poletti for the All That's Interesting website. A year after her first blackout, Annalise had a similar experience wherein she woke up in a trance-like state. She wandered about aimlessly and then fell into a series of convulsions which not only frightened Annalise but her parents as well, and they made an appointment with a neurologist to get her checked out. A series of tests were conducted and the neurologist diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, a disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, and visual and auditory hallucinations. Temporal lobe epilepsy can also cause Geschwin syndrome. According to the National Library of Medicine, the syndrome consists of hypergraphia, the intense desire to write or draw, hyposexuality, irritability, and hyper-religiosity. Over the next three years, Annalise would have two more similar episodes and was prescribed two medications, an anticonvulsant medication and an anti-seizure medication called Dilantin. On both occasions, an EEG would come back normal with some minor irregular patterns, but nothing that would definitively explain her symptoms. After being diagnosed and prescribed medication for epilepsy, Annalise enrolled in the University of Würzburg in 1973. Although she was taking her medication properly throughout the school year, they didn't seem to help her symptoms. She felt her condition was deteriorating, and after a while, Annalise became convinced that she was possessed by a demon. She would see the face of the devil everywhere she went and claimed that demons would whisper to her at all hours of the day and night. 
They would tell her things like she was damned and would rot in hell. She prayed meticulously and thought she may need a solution outside of medicine and doctors. Her mother was further rattled when she witnessed Annalise furiously staring at a statue of the Virgin Mary with, quote, eyes turned black, jet black, and her hands seemed to turn into thick paws with claws. Annalise went to the local churches and sought out priests and explained her possible demonic possession concerns. The clergy would hear her out, but rejected her requests and recommended continued medical treatments, and that for them to even think of helping her would require the permission of a bishop. Devastated by the clergy's rejection, Annalise spiraled out of control and her behavior deteriorated even more. She was observed ripping her clothes off. She compulsively did up to 400 squats a day. She even crawled under a table and barked and behaved like a dog for two days. Her family saw her eat spiders and other insects. She bit the head off a dead bird and, even and licked her, her own, own urine, urine from the, the floor. floor. She destroyed rosaries, crucifixes, and holy pictures on the walls. Annalise also exhibited strength that was, quote, close to superhuman, throwing her sister, quote, as if she were a rag doll, and incredibly was observed effortlessly squeezing an apple with one hand until, quote, fragments exploded throughout the room. Her family also firmly believed that she was possessed and they found a priest who believed them. Priest Ernest Alt petitioned the local bishop, Joseph Stangle, who approved the request and assigned local priest Arnold Renz to perform an exorcism. However, the bishop ordered that the exorcism must be done in total secret. From the article, Paletti wrote, quote, Exorcisms have existed in various cultures and religions for millennia, but the practice became popular in the Catholic Church in the 1500s with priests who would use the Latin phrase vade retro satana, which means go back Satan, to expel demons from their mortal hosts. The practice of Catholic exorcism was codified in the Ritual Romanum, a book of Christian practices assembled in the 16th century. By the 1960s, exorcisms were very rare among Catholics, but a rise in movies and books like The Exorcist in the early 1970s caused a renewed interest in the practice. Over the next 10 months, following the bishop's approval of Annalise's exorcism, Alt and Renz conducted 67 exorcisms, sometimes lasting up to four hours. Through these sessions, Annalise revealed that she believed she was possessed by six demons. This included Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Adolf Hitler, Nero, and Fleischmann. Fleischmann was a disgraced priest." End quote. Annalise provided accurate details of the real Fleischmann, who was a priest in the 1500s that was kicked out of the church for bad behavior. These details came as an icy shock to Father Alt, who claims Annalise would have no way of knowing Fleischmann. Annalise said that the demons would fight for power over her body, and they communicated with the priests during the exorcisms. The following is part of an audio recorded from one of the exorcisms, where demons were reportedly speaking through Annalise. It is in German, and we will translate what is said afterwards. Even though it is in German language, it is still disturbing to listen to. 
Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Amen. So lange kann ich Nein, im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Amen. Sage die ganze Wahrheit. Ich bin der Vater. Im Namen Jesus, im Namen Maria, befehle ich dir. Sage die ganze Wahrheit im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Ja, Amen. Dieses Scheißding tragen muss zum Beispiel. Zum Beispiel wann? Oh, Sie müssen als Priester erkennbar sein. Ja, das nenne ich auch. Oh, wie, wie der Anhält und der, 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 der Flasche beistehen. Oder die Drecksäule draußen. Oh. Alles zu sagen, was du zu sagen hast. Im Namen Jesu und im Namen... Ja, das ist doch nicht so ein Beistuch. Im Namen Jesu und im Namen Jesu. Now that we've heard the recording, the following is the best translation we could find. It was provided by the Diabolical Confusions website, translated by user Tango. Speak the truth, tell me more, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Isn't that enough? No, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. No, I'll say no more. Speak the whole truth. No, I am the father of lies and I will say no more. In the name of Jesus and in the name of Mary, I command you, speak the whole truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Yes, that you must carry that shit thing, for example. When, for example? You must be recognizable as priests. Yes, I think so too. And the people are supposed to go to confession? And indeed... In the name of Jesus and in the name of Mary, I command you... No! During subsequent exorcisms, the priests witnessed the demons within Annalise argue with one another. One example was when it was reported that Hitler, saying through Annalise, quote, People are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on, end quote. And Judas said that Hitler was nothing but a, quote, big mouth and was not respected very much in hell, which I appreciate on a personal level. <laughs> Annalise would also speak as herself and talked about her impending death as a way to atone for the, quote, wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church, end quote. And when she wasn't in the throes of an exorcism, she would be found praying during her lucid states. Paletti wrote, quote, She broke the bones and ripped the tendons in her knees from continually kneeling in prayer, end quote. By May, Annalise became even worse, banging her head against the wall and biting herself and others to the point where her family had to tie her up to prevent her from hurting herself. But most dangerously, Annalise stopped eating despite the encouragement from the priests and her family. She said the demons wouldn't allow her to eat anymore, and everybody feared that she would soon die. On July 1st, 1976, she did. Despite seeking medical attention early on, Annalise refused to submit to medical attention in the end, as she and her family ultimately placed all faith of recovery into the exorcism. 
Medical examiners would report that she died from malnutrition and dehydration. After 67 exorcisms, weighing only 68 pounds, she was 23 years old at the time of her death. After her death, an investigation by authorities took place and the state prosecutor insisted that Annalise's demise could have been prevented as late as one week before she passed away. Shortly after, her parents and the two clergymen were arrested and charged with negligent homicide. The trial began on March 30th, 1978, and the story quickly became a national sensation throughout Germany. Doctors testified that Annalise was not possessed stating that the manifestations of demonic possession were a psychological effect of her temporal lobe epilepsy and her strict religious upbringing, which was further exacerbated by the Geschwind syndrome. The defense presented eyewitness testimony and formally submitted the recordings as evidence of possession, an idea that the court never seemed to take seriously. From a non-religious standpoint, the defense argued Annalise was permitted to deny medical treatment, as was her lawful right. For what it's worth, medical treatment might have included tranquilizing her, force-feeding her, and electroshock therapy, quote, all presumably against her will, end quote. Family friend Thea Hine recalled in her testimony that in 1976, a few months before Annalise's death, Annalise reportedly, quote, begged on her knees for Hine to not suggest medical attention to anybody. Also worth noting is the fact that Father Alt actually looked for medical help towards the end. And on May 30th, his friend, Dr. Richard Roth, visited Annalise out of what he claims was scientific curiosity and not as a physician. Dr. Richard Roth allegedly told Annalise during the exorcism, quote, There are no injections against the devil. An unfamiliar voice spoke from the other side of the door. Let me in. Her hand reflexively grasped the knob, unable to control her own movements. The door opened. A monstrous being stood before her. She gagged at its stench and fell to her knees. It stood in the doorway. A black substance dripped from its body and puddled at its feet. It looked down at her and said, That's a good girl. Now aren't you going to invite me in? She shook her head back and forth as tears streamed from her eyes. It smiled a depraved grin revealing black, rotted teeth. It said, Still following daddy's advice about strangers. While he's in hell, he burns over and over and over again. We Only Come Out at Night, the brand new book from Nomar Slavic. 33 horror fiction stories that will remind you that what lies beyond the darkness only comes out at night. We Only Come Out at Night is available only in print and can be found at slavicstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop at greenhandbookshop.com. Her parents' lawyer argued that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise 
of their religious beliefs. Curiously, in spite of all the supposed epileptic attacks, an autopsy revealed Annalise had a healthy brain with no damage that could have caused epileptic seizures. Quote, not even on a microscopic level, end quote. And even more curious was the court's seeming non-consideration of facts such as her pupils being unusually dilated and the absence of ulcers on her body, which are frequently found in victims of starvation. They also played tapes of the exorcism sessions for the entire court to hear. The priests stated that Annalise was free of demonic possession just before her death. The bishop who initially approved the exorcism stated in the media that he was not aware of Annalise's health condition but he did not testify in court. The prosecution also argued that the medications given successfully suppressed the epilepsy-like seizures and argued that that suppression morphed into, quote, a delusional psychosis associated with epilepsy, end quote. They argued that Annalise's psychosis was exacerbated by the exorcism, which only played into her fantasy. To piggyback on that, Annalise often went through phases between exorcisms where she behaved normally, even though she would behave as a possessed person during exorcisms. It's unclear if the epilepsy-like seizures were stopped by medication or if they actually stopped on their own. But Annalise's psychotic visions predate the alleged medical suppression. In April of 1978, Annalise's parents and the two priests who performed the exorcisms were convicted of negligent homicide. The court ruled that Annalise was unable to make decisions for herself and should have been forced to submit to medical care. However, prosecutors had requested merely a fine for the priests and only a guilty verdict for the parents, but no punishment. The judge basically agreed and gave them all suspended sentences, and all four were to share the costs of the court proceedings. The public and the court felt that all defendants had, quote, suffered enough, which was a criteria for sentencing in German law. By approving the ancient rite, the church drew public and media attention. However, after the landmark case, the number of officially sanctioned exorcisms decreased in Germany, despite the Pope's acceptance of approving future exorcisms. Lastly, in June of 2013, Annalise's childhood home burned down in a terrible fire that only seemed to engulf the house and no other areas of land surrounding it. Although the local police determined that it was a case of arson, some locals attributed the fire to the exorcism case. Val, do you have any closing thoughts on Annalise? You know, I just feel really sad for her because it's obvious that there was something really wrong with her. Yeah. I don't know if either the priests or the doctors or the parents had it right. Sure. There was nowhere really to turn to understand more about it at the time. So it's it's just a really sad story when you look at it. It really is. And isn't it possible to have epilepsy and also be possessed? Like, couldn't that be a thing? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, who knows which came first? The yeah, right, right. possession or the epilepsy, one could have caused the other. Right, because we have read numerous stories where someone is in a weakened state, either emotionally or physically, and that might make them more susceptible to possession, right? Absolutely. And even to this day, with all of our technology, the human brain is still largely a mystery. Yeah, for sure. It really is. 
All right, Val, last year, like I asked you during the exorcism of Roland Hunkler episode, I wanted to ask if you had another kind of creepy ghost hunting related story that you'd like to share. Sure. So one year, not too long ago, I was doing a benefit event at a cemetery in Massachusetts. And I encountered something that claimed to be a demon. Oh, shit. I am very careful when I use that word because I think with pop culture, it gets thrown around a lot. Yeah, sure. Used in cases where it's just a really angry human being pretending to be something it's not. Right. This was definitely a non-human entity of some sort. But what was really interesting was it was in this cemetery because it's in a not great location in Massachusetts, not the best town to live in. And the spot where the cemetery is located, it happens to be near railroad tracks. A lot of drug dealers go from town through the cemetery to the train tracks and they walk down the train tracks and they do their thing and, and whatever. So it, the information I got from this entity was that it was there to feed off of that energy that people that are involved heavily in drugs and making money off of drugs that that's an energy that is specific yeah that's interesting it was there to feed off of that and that's why i was able to communicate with it because it didn't want to bother me it didn't need to feed off of me but it was curious that i could sense it huh. wow could you elaborate a little bit on what communication could look like? It, it's generally done telepathically. All right. I could feel that there was something there. And so when I feel something there, I just kind of go into that feeling and kind of push out, you know, from inside of me outward to try to feel the energy. And once we established a connection, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the telepathy actually flowed pretty quickly, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's a real struggle. Sure. But this thing was very willing to talk. It didn't have a specific form. It would most likely be seen if it's seen as just shadows. Mm, wow. I guess a little cliche, but you know. It was really fascinating for me to encounter this thing. Now, it's kind of interesting when you said how it's feeding and also that the telepathy was pretty strong. Like, do you think the telepathy was strong because it was in an area where it was feeding so much? Like, is that possible, you think? It very well could be. Usually when a an energy is very strong for whatever reason, it does communicate easier. Wow, well, thanks so much for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Of course, I'm always happy to share. And uh, I actually had one that I wanted to tell you. And uh, apparently now also the audience. <laughs> but uh, back when I was with my old paranormal team, we investigated uh, an old funeral home that had been converted into apartments. And the majority of the activity seemed to be centered down in the basement area. We did investigate one of the apartments upstairs, but didn't catch a lot. So we then turned our focus to the basement and that's where it kind of like exploded for us. It was partitioned off for the four apartments. And some of those partitions were original partitions when it was a funeral home. And one of the rooms that we were in, we were told that particular room used to be used to house bodies during the winter when the ground was too frozen to bury people. 
so we're in this room and we're using an emf detector that has lights and we end up having like this 20 minute like full-on conversation yes and it's a yes and no conversation where we're asking close-ended questions but it was so responsive uh, to our questions that it was really blowing our minds. It was with me and another investigator. His name's Jared, and I love you, homie. I hope you're listening. <laughs> and it got to the point where it was telling us that there were a plethora of people that uh, were like a plethora of souls were still in this building. And the particular entity, if you will, that we were in communication with told us that it was like in charge of all of them. And then through subsequent conversations with other supposed entities, we found that this other entity was not in charge of them. It was merely keeping the other souls there in the building. And through our conversation, we didn't really think it was the D word, the demon. We, we didn't think that was accurate because we kept asking it to show us things, something stronger than just moving the lights and being responsive. And I guess just in my opinion, if something was truly a demon and trying to prove itself to us, it could probably do more than just that, you know? So... Since we didn't believe it, I think we might have pissed it off and maybe it, it stopped talking to us. My recollection isn't always the best. But anyway, so through other subsequent conversations with other entities that were there, we also learned that this, quote, demon entity that we were talking to wasn't so much a demon, but really just kind of an asshole and aggressive and trying to be something more than what it really was. Yeah, that's really interesting and, and pretty impressive that you had so much communication with anything, regardless yeah. of what it turns out to be. But that, yeah. that's curious, because at first I wondered if maybe it was similar to what I encountered in the cemetery. You know, you, mm -hmm. you think of a funeral home and that energy of grief and mourning and... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Some of the dead people, you know, still have their souls kind of attached and they're lost and yeah. confused. That's a lot of energy in one location. So there could be something there feeding on that, similar to the cemetery. Yeah, sure. The fact that, yeah, it couldn't do much more than that. Yeah, maybe it was just a human that wanted to be scary because, you know, that's what it thought it was supposed to do. Well, yeah, it was a fascinating series of investigations. We went there multiple times and we were catching just crazy stuff there. It was one of the most active places we had ever been to. We were catching shadows on the walls, not catching them, but we were experiencing them. Uh, we caught uh, some EVPs. We caught a lot of whispering. We would hear stuff with our own ears. Super interesting place to go to. And to, to kind of wrap that whole investigation piece up our last investigation there we actually had some people come in to like sage and bless the house and they did a salt ring around the uh, property and they left one little section open to hopefully drive out this oppressive entity that was keeping these other souls there and uh, we all think that it was successful. I don't think we got any calls after that. You know, the, the activity had calmed down and the property was actually up for sale fairly recently, I believe in 2020 and 2021. And it was finally sold like in the middle of 2021. So it's got new owners now and I've yet to reach out to them to see if anything has been happening. So 
That's as far as I know with the place. Yeah, that's great. Unfortunately, that's not an all that uncommon scenario in the paranormal world from what I've experienced. So but, someone's an asshole in life, they're likely to be an asshole in death. <laughs> yeah, and even like in ufology, there are talks of malevolent entities and benevolent. You know, my opinion on it is, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Like if there's, you know, just because it's an entirely different species, it doesn't mean that there aren't good ones and bad ones, you know, and, and but I'm right there with you. Yeah. I say the same thing. <laughs> now for cryptids, I, I don't know, like wandering into the woods or, you know, into their areas, like even earthly animals that we know of <laughs> that are real. They can get upset if we encroach on their space. Well, and animals are very energetically sensitive. I don't think we give them enough credit for, like, they are constantly picking up on the vibe. Absolutely. Always thinking about that in regards to Bigfoot. Because a lot of times when you hear the stories of an aggressive Bigfoot, it's somebody that is seeking out Bigfoot or they're mm -hmm. in the woods hunting. And maybe they're not exactly doing the best thing when they're out there hunting sure so maybe the bigfoot is being protective and trying to scare them away there's plenty of other stories of people who are just in the woods peacefully and they peacefully encounter a bigfoot if somebody encroaches on a bigfoot area and it's uh, angry or comes across as aggressive i don't think that can be a full indication of how that species is all the time you know it's just because we're encroaching on their space you know i know if somebody walked into my house i'd be like what the fuck you know <laughs> I, I would be upset but i'm a exactly yeah don't walk know? into my house most of the time i'm a pretty chill easygoing guy you know so all right well going back to annalisa's story ultimately we do leave it up to you to decide and that does bring us to the end of this Halloween special of the I Want to Believe podcast. Happy Halloween, and thanks so much for listening. I'm Nomars Levin. And I'm Valerie LaFasso. Happy Halloween. Yeah.